Hey guys, it's Noah. Before we get into our next episode, I just want to encourage you to check out the description of this episode. While you're there, you'll see the references to all of our social media accounts. Please pause the podcast and take a minute to check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and even TikTok. Also, while you're there, you'll see a link to check out our blogs. I highly encourage you to go to couchfanaticsports.com to read our daily content. Lastly, you can find our YouTube channel in the description of this episode. Take a minute to subscribe to the Couch Fanatic Sports YouTube channel for weekly content and interviews. Now, I just want to thank you for tuning in to another edition of the Couch Fanatic Sports Podcast. Please feel free to download, rate, and subscribe to our pod. Now, let's get into the latest episode. What's up? Welcome back to the Couch Fanatic Sports Podcast, episode 22. I'm your host, Noah Domingue, and today we have a packed episode. Had a great interview come on, as you can see in the description, I mean in the title, Max Greenfield, uh, formerly of the Washington Nationals, currently of the pitcher list as a writer. Uh, great interview with Max, got into a lot of baseball stuff, uh, talks some Yankees for uh, all the crazy Yankees fans out there, talks a lot, a lot about the face of baseball conversation, lots of Tatis, Soto, Acuna talk, always have fun talking about that. And honestly, we just talked about pretty much every major baseball storyline. Got into a little bit of uh, analytics and baseball, how they're used, how they should be used, how they're viewed, why they're viewed negatively. Look, t- take a look at the Blake Snell situation in the World Series Game 6. Dug right into that. We discussed you know, the decision-making of that, how it really wasn't based on analytics more than anything, and that it was honestly just overall an inexcusable decision. But anyways, we're, we'll get to that. Uh, first, and then after the interview, we're going to finish up our MLB predictions it's going to be week eight of eight now, final week, uh, where we go through the postseason, predict each matchup, and we'll go from there. Uh, if you haven't been along for the ride so far, last week was the MLB Awards predicting you know MVPs, Cy Youngs, uh, everything like that. Go check that out. And then the weeks before that, we went division by division after our interviews every week and selected, you know, we went team by team, basically. <laughs> we did a division a week, and we talked about each team in depth, talked about you know, the moves that they made, the breaks downs, like what we project from them, what we should expect from them from a fan point of view, from a, just a baseball point of view. And it was very interesting. Before we get into any of that, though, I want to talk a little bit about MLB The Show. MLB The Show came out, guys. I am hype. I'm streaming that like crazy. I'm streaming it multiple hours a day, almost every day over on the Twitch. Uh, so if you enjoy that, if you enjoy the show, if you enjoy this podcast, go follow me on Twitch at no underscore domain. It's going to be in the description of this episode where you can check out all the other stuff that we put out too for, with Couch Fanatic Sports. Go check it out there. It's a lot of fun. Um, slowly getting better at the game, uh, and it's no money spent too, so it's a grind. I'm not going to be the person that you know spends thousands of dollars on having the best team. So you can probably relate to me a little bit more because most people don't have that kind of money. But t- speaking of the show, it's like if you haven't got it yet, it's probably the best sports video game that has come out in i don't know a decade it's probably the best sports video game i've played since like the old school like college football games and then like when my park was like first introduced like this just dwarfs madden it's always been better than madden it's always been better than 2k at least for a few years now and man this might be their best product in a long time and i see a lot of content creators saying that I see a lot of MLB The Show specifically content creators saying that, saying like, yeah, this is like, I all, MLB The Show is my thing. I put out, you know, three YouTube videos a day, every day for a year on this. I stream every day. Like, this is my game. This is what I do. This is my living. And I've never enjoyed playing the game as, as much as I do right now. It's a good game. There's really, the servers are a little bit of an issue that's going to happen though early on in the game, especially whenever 
uh, you're producing a game during a COVID thing. Like they couldn't really be in the studios producing this. They had to do this from home. Then you add in the fact that they're going to be playing on four more consoles, right? Like the servers stretch across Xbox, you know, PlayStation, PlayStation five, the newest Xbox series X, like it's going to be work. It's going to take a lot for these servers and you know, they're going to get better with use. It's going to just kind of how the thing works. It's going to get better, but the gameplay itself is very good. I mean, the one complaint you have would be like the base running stuff. Um, but that's just kind of the way the show works. Like if the base runners did exactly what you wanted at all times, like you would just never, you would be able to manipulate a lot. So they're just like, no, like you can't be stupid. Like you just got to play the game the way that you're supposed to play the game. Like if you hit a double, get a double don't get in a rundown on purpose and then uh just keep running around to eventually score like that was a problem at one point so the got rid of that it's probably for the best it's very frustrating though when they don't respond nevertheless it's awesome i think the best part about it would be the show more than like madden like you would think they're paying me to say this no i just love the game and like i love talking to you guys about my hobbies so that's kind of where i'm at it's probably the easiest game on a ultimate team you know my like diamond dynasty my team like level to get a good team a competitive team for free like everything else like every other you know ultimate team if you're not spending a lot of money then it's it's tough like it's tough to compete but this like you can they give you free diamond players just for like playing the game like and like with the parallel program like you can get free plus fives on all attributes for like every single player you have just for playing with them more it's it's tremendous it's i love the game if you enjoy the game, if you enjoy you know watching Twitch and stuff, come check out the streams. It's a lot of fun. Uh, but one of the big storylines we need to get into before the interview is Corbin Burns. Corbin Burns is a madman. Uh, if you follow us over on the YouTube channel, if you subscribe there, uh, we actually you know I posted a video about Corbin Burns on Wednesday yesterday. Uh, today actually when I'm recording this, I'm recording this on Wednesday afternoon, and he is crazy. He has an ERA of a 0.37. He has 40 strikeouts and 24 in the third innings. He is the first pitcher, and I mean he has the he has the lowest whip of any starter through their first four <laughs> through the first four starts of a season. Minimum twenty innings pitched. He has the lowest whip. That's insane. And he has the fifth lowest whip of any four start span of minimum twenty innings pitch like in MLB history. Like just like taking any random span. This is the start of the season. Like he is dominating right now he has a whip of a 0.33 so basically he'll get he'll allow a base runner every third inning or so that's just stupid he's allowed one run this year he struck out he strikeouts this season he went 11 9 10 and 10 all went about six innings like he is dominant he is absolutely dominant and you know what's crazy he's getting better his fastball last season sat around 96 it's about 97 and a half now like he's getting better he's getting more dominant his stuff's getting even more filthy as he's maturing, as he's growing, and like this is awesome to watch. Like he is a great pitcher, and he is developing into an ace. If not, he's already an ace already. Now, if he did that over last season in his 162 games, everybody would be willing to call him an ace already. Since there's only 60 games, you know, only about 12 starts or so, people are a little hesitant. But if you actually look at Corbin Burns' last 15 starts and compare it to Jacob Degrom's last 15 starts, basically since the start of last season, Corbin Burns has actually been better than Jacob Degrom. And that's not a knock on DeGrom in any way. He is just just a huge compliment to Corbin Burns. Corbin Burns has, you know, a lower ERA, lower FIP, lower whip, you know, more strikeouts per nine, more of this, more of that, less runs, like everything Corbin Burns does better. And this is crazy because Jacob DeGrom's the best player, like the best pitcher in baseball. You know what I mean? Like, and this isn't a way to take a shot at DeGrom in any way. Don't think I'm doing that. I'm not at all. DeGrom's the best pitcher in baseball. It's not really close. But 
over that sample, that's how good he has been. He's been so good to the point where, like, (laughs) he has been so good to the point to where we can compare him and see how he stacks up against the best pitcher in baseball, the best pitcher in our game, and say, oh, yeah, he compares very well. Corbin Burns is a stud. Um, The injury bug has been biting it's been it's been it's been biting a lot. Uh, Juan Soto hit the IL. Christian Yelich is on the IL. Gavin Lux is on the IL. Like, yeah, it uh, they need a the injury bug needs to chill out a little bit. We don't need all that. Uh, as you know, Cody Bellinger's on the IL. Mondesi, Soroka. I mean, center guard that was kind of you know already given. So I'm kind of just going through like looking at kind of like the big name stuff. Uh, Mercedes is kind of banged up. Mookie Betts is banged up. Lamette's coming off the IL today, Wednesday. He's making his first start of the season. Awesome, right? Like, I'm very excited uh, that Mookie Bass is going to be back. He's, I mean, not Mookie, I'm sorry. The Nelson Lamette is going to be back. Lamette is absolutely disgusting. Whenever he is right, he is, you know, one of the best pitchers in baseball. Like, last season, he was one of the best pitchers in baseball. But, yeah, I'm excited he's going to be back. We're going to see how he throws today on Wednesday. Uh, Mike Moustakis is on the IL, Starling Marte. Jose Artuve's banged up with like the COVID stuff. Uh, as you know, Christian Walker, George Springer, of course, um, Framber Valdez. Like, I'm just, I'm literally just kind of going down like the list of like the IL right now. I'm just kind of pointing out like big names. Uh, Acuna's apparently banged up. Segura, uh, Max Kepler, Catal Marte, of course, pulled his hammy. It was barking at him. And yeah, guys, like it's just Rendon, like Strasburg again. Like, it's just kind of bouncing around. And, you know, that's what it is in sports and sports like injuries are going to happen no matter what sport you play, no matter how long you play. Like, if you play a sport for a certain amount of time, eventually you will get hurt. Just like the nature of it, because our bodies aren't really designed to play sports like our human bodies aren't designed to do some of the things that we do in sports like our bodies aren't designed to like look at football, right? Our bodies aren't designed to sprint at each other at, you know, 15 miles an hour. That's on the slow end. And just hit each other as hard as we can for, you know, three hours straight. And then, like, look at baseball. Our bodies aren't designed to sling our arm and throw something, like, a hundred times every five days, you know, or more. Like, that's just, like, for, like, that doesn't include the warm-ups. That doesn't include the, you know, pitches between innings. That doesn't include, like, anything like that. Like, that's just, you know, the pure what you do in the game. Like, your body's not designed to do that at all. Like, not even a little bit. Your body's not designed to run back and forth on a basketball court for two hours and just jump up and down and like keep landing and keep having impact on your knees. Our bodies aren't designed to do that, so injuries are going to happen. But, dude, these it sucks, right? Like Nobody wants to see anyone get injured. No one definitely doesn't want to see a start to the season whenever you have some of the biggest names in your sport, such as Cody Bellinger, such as Anthony Rendon, such as Juan Soto, such as Christian Yelich, such as, you know, potentially Acuna, such as Strasburg, like – these guys who are just absolute studs, you know, they're some of the best. Like I just named, you know, going down the list, run down the top three at his position. You know, Bellinger won an MVP. Uh, Cunha looks like the MVP front runner. Soto would have won the MVP last year if he played 60 full games. He was the best hitter in baseball last season. Strasburg, when he's right, he's a Cy Young type pitcher. Like he's a very above average pitcher, World Series MVP caliber pitcher. You know, just kind of going through that list, like all of those guys are very, very good at they do it. Of course, Mookie, Mookie won MVP. He's finished second a couple of times. Like Mookie's a beast, and the injuries are just they're tough to see, especially early in the year. But anyways, kind of moving on from that really depressing topic. Um, 
NFL drafts, obviously, next week, starting next Thursday, I believe, the 29th. Uh, probably the mecca like the best moment in sports uh fanhood i guess for a lot of people a lot of people like me love doing mock drafts watching my you know reading mock mock drafts reading the rumors of where your team might go you know fantasize about you know trading up getting your guy you know watching tape on the guy and like selling yourself that he's going to be the next star in the league you know like it's it's just amazing especially for dorks like me like a huge nerd guy like me is like yes like the NFL draft where legends go like like i just love the NFL draft it's one of my favorite things in the world uh next week i'm going to be talking all about that i might mess around and do a little mock draft on the pod maybe so maybe y'all are going to have to you're going to have to hit me up on twitter let me know if y'all want me to do that or not i'm going to have to uh, look into doing that maybe so maybe so but anyways guys um think this is the time i made you kind of wait long enough i made you listen to enough of my rants already uh to kind of transition here into the interview uh stick around after the interview we have the final leg of our mlb predictions coming out and i will see you guys on the other side of the interview here it is my interview with max greenfield all right i want to welcome on a very special guest writer for the pitcher list and former uh washington nationals employee my good friend max greenfield max how we doing doing great thanks for having me on of course, I figured I'd get you on to talk some baseball. Uh, obviously, working with the pitchers list, I work for the Nationals. You know a lot about the game, so kind of just jumping right in, one thirty feet to the fire a little bit. What is the biggest surprise, either good or bad, so far this baseball season for you? Uh, I mean, I want to start. I'm, I'm a positive person, so I'm going to try and start on a positive note and say that the the Royals are probably one of the funnest starts to the year. Uh, they just took. I believe three out of four from the Blue Jays. Uh, they offense looks good. The pitching staff has been fine. They're obviously probably not this good. Uh, definitely not a team that's going to win at 60% of their games for sure. But, uh, you know, they're a positive surprise. Their offense, I think, you know, coming into the season, I was like, maybe it's going to be like a solid offense enough, you know, a middle of the pack offense. They don't have like a heavy hitter in there. Um, but they've been, they've been really positive and they're definitely – a team that I've looked forward, you know, I look, I'm glad they're playing well. I, you know, they have a, a solid fan base, you know, they don't really offend anybody. Uh, the most disappointing and probably the one that has just caused the most frustration, maybe not because like I'm a fan of them, but uh, just because they're so annoying to deal with is definitely the Yankees being five and 10 is a shock. Uh, they're playing awful right now, just legitimately really, really bad. The offense is just not there uh, in the slightest. Um, yeah, we're gonna have to dive in on like on the Yankees a little bit later. I got a few topic points about them. Oh, but yeah. in on your Royals stuff for a second. I mean, it's funny to look at the American League standings right now because it's like Red Sox, Royals, and I think what was it the Angels? Like it's like, oh, okay, these are the teams that are the Mariners. The it's the Mariners. Is the Mariners okay? Yeah. That's what it is. That's not gonna hold up. But they're also a really pleasant surprise. Well, the East is gonna hold up. Uh, my Red Sox, they're gonna take the East. <laughs> they're gonna win it all. That's you know, the I Red remember- Sox need to finish first or last. I remember I told people, I was like, they could make the playoffs. And people were like, no way. Look at that roster. I'm like, yeah, look at that roster. It's yeah, a look good at the roster. roster. Like, the roster's yeah. good. Like, it's a solid team. And they're like, if the pitching can hold up enough till Chris Sale gets back, like, definitely that's a team that can make a playoff push. People were like, nah, I mean, they won. They only won like 26 games last year. And I was like, yeah, with half of their pitching staff just 
decimated. Right. They're, right. they're fine. They're fine. They got career worst years from J.D. Martinez, Rafael Devers. Now those guys are proving like, yeah, it was just a fluke. Like that was a bad season, especially J.D. Martinez. He has access to video again. Uh, and yeah, I, the people who like doubted the Red Sox, I'm just like, you clearly are not paying very close attention. This is a very good team. I had them right around like 87 or so wins. Uh, yeah, last that's season, I a lot of people don't yeah. realize this. Yeah, people don't realize this, though. They had one of the best offenses in baseball last year. I think they yeah. led the MLB in at batting average something like that last year. Like, it's a good team. Then you add in, they picked up Pavetta, they picked up Richards. They have uh, Erod back, which they didn't have last year. Chris Sale's going to be here eventually. Tanner Hall is the real deal. Evaldi's a dude, man. He's a dude. Yeah. That guy can pitch. Um, I, but, I'm, sorry. I'm with you. The Red, the Red Sox are a good team. They're, I, I, people who doubted them, I'm just sort of like, you clearly weren't paying attention. Well, the, a lot of the people I've interacted with that kind of disagree with the Red Sox stuff also think that the Blue Jays aren't going to be good this year. So that's kind of where their heads are at. To be fair, I guess in the reference to the Blue Jays after a couple games, I could understand if like their pitching has already been like kind of decimated out of their bullpen. I think three of their top four relievers are hurt. Well, you know, a couple of them could be hurt for like extended periods of time too. So that's, you know, Kirby Yates is I think done for the year. Right. And then Julian Merriweather, last I read the timetable on him was unclear. That hurts. Then their other replacement closer got hurt too. So, you know, I, I get that. And their pitching was already like not solid to begin with. But they still got George Springer coming back at some point, and you know, trash bang, you know, trash cans aside, like George Springer is a great player. He's definitely going to help their offense. Kevin Biggio's gotten off to a slow start. Marcus Simeon's gotten off to a slow start. They'll be fine. Springer will come back, and that offense will hit. I mean, Vlad Jr.'s been on an absolute torrid pace to start the year. He looks I mean, like this, the top prospect again. Yeah, he looks like the guy who hit 400 in the minors at one point. Like he's definitely, he was always capable of this. He's just putting the ball in the air more and seeing. Exactly great success but yeah i mean the al east is it's just you have the orioles and then you have like roster wise the yankees still have the best roster but you know having the best roster doesn't mean you necessarily are the like you play the best that doesn't mean anything right you things can happen guys get hurt other things like that but the difference between the yankees the rays the red sox and the blue jays is very minimal like there's not a massive amount of difference between those teams all four of them are definitely competing for playoff spots yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, I could tell you want to talk about the Yankees, so let's uh, let's just jump into them for a minute. Uh, kind of give you the floor. They're five and ten, ranked dead last in OPS. Uh, what do you think their biggest problem right now is? Do you think it's just a slow start, or is there maybe a deeper issue? Um, I mean, they're definitely off to a slow start. It's fifteen games. Teams go five and ten in fifteen games in the middle of July. Nobody knows this, but it's the early, you know, beginning of the season is the first fifteen games, so everybody's harping on it. Um, I think people definitely overhype the issues of like. Okay, they don't hit with situational. They don't hit with runners in scoring position. That's not really true. In the past three seasons, the Yankees have had a top three, a top fifteen offense by weighted runs graded and batting average with runners in scoring position. So they can hit in situations just fine. Like they're fine at that. In 2019, they were the best team at that actually. Um, and then like the infield defense is a legitimate problem. That was a problem last year. That was a problem going into the year. Glaber Torres is not a shortstop. It's just, it's just not, not like, not like he's not a shortstop. He can't play the position. They don't have a shortstop on their team. Like, I, I don't know how much longer they give up or throw Glaber out there until they just say, all right, Gio Urshela, you give it a try. We'll move LeMahieu to third and put, you know, Glaber at second, you know, and they're missing Luke Voigt, who is a great hitter. That hurts. But I think the other thing that I hear is like, oh, they're not getting any good starting pitching. Like, well, you know, Jameson Tyon's coming back from not pitching in almost two years. 
right? So it's half the rotation too. Yeah, like, like half the know. rotation hasn't thrown any innings the last two yeah. or three seasons. You're just this early in the year, you're going to see some like hiccups. You're going to see some things just not working super well, and it's to be expected. But like they're taking it slow with Tyon. He's still got great stuff. I think he can figure it out. Kluber, his command issues are probably a little worrisome. And then Jordan Montgomery's been really good in his first three starts. He's kept them in every game. His second start against the Rays, he didn't have it. That's my guy. I wrote written about him and like try to hype him up as much as possible as a potential breakout. So I'm gonna hype him up. Uh, but you know, his second start, he didn't really have his best stuff, and he still competed for five innings. His next start against the Rays, he was really good. He just made two mistakes and or made a couple mistakes, and two of them got hit hard. Um, that happens. Uh, but I would say that the, the the pitching will come around, the offense will come around, but the infield defense is a it, it's it's a problem, and that needs to be addressed. Yeah, the the Yankees of yesteryear, the Yankees of my youth, uh, they would have traded for Trevor Story like yesterday. Which feels like yeah, a slam if, dunk. If it. George were around, per se. Right, yes. right. The the old uh, wise tale. Uh, but what are your takes on kind of the Aaron Boone stuff? Uh, a lot of overreactions going on, so I kind of want to hear your thoughts on that. I think you know. I think the maybe teams are a little spoiled because regardless of what happened with Alex Cora on the Astros or anything, he's, he's a very good manager. His players really like him. His in-game decision-making with the bullpen. I mean, it's never perfect. No manager is like, listen, Kevin Cash still makes mistakes. It's, it's going to happen. Right. Like, and that guy's all data all the time and he still makes mistakes, which we'll get into. Uh, but um, so no manager is perfect with bullpen management, but I mean, I would say the best managers in baseball are probably what Rocco Baldelli, Kevin Cash, Alex Cora, Aaron Boone, Dusty Baker. Right. Like those are probably like yeah. the five best managers in baseball. I tend to agree. Yeah. Like if, if Boone's gone, none of those four guys are available. Right. So he's not, there's no definite upgrade over him out there on the market, right? So I don't agree with getting rid of him anyway, but even if they were, who's going to replace him, right? That's the question, Some, yeah. It, it, that's always the question of like, well, if you fire the guy, who replaces him? You want somebody better. Who's better? Well, Baldelli likes it with Minnesota, and he's not. They're not getting rid of him. He's a great manager for them. Cora just got picked up back by the Red Sox, and he's no manager ever is going from the Red Sox to the Yankees or the Yankees to the Red Sox. That's never going to happen. I think Cora's going to be around in Boston for a very long time. Yeah, like I could good. legit see him retiring in Boston. Maybe but, not because that doesn't really happen anymore, but he's going to be in Boston for a very long time. I would say for at least the next five years, I expect Alex Cora to be in Boston. And for a manager, that's a long time. Like that, don't, don't expect, you know, if you get five years at one spot, you've done a fairly decent job. Um, so don't expect Alex Cora to go anywhere. Dusty Baker just got picked up by the Astros. They just picked up his contract. They guaranteed it for another year or two. The over, if Dusty Baker goes anywhere, it's to retirement because he's just like, yes. ah, yeah, I'm, no, I'm over it. Like, that's fine. And then Kevin Cash, it, why would he leave? He's he's brought that team to the World Series. The Rays fans love him. I know people harp on that decision he made, but like, he's clearly very good at his job. So again. Where's the upgrade? It's nowhere to be found. And the issues with Boone, I think people people remember the old years when like managers would like fire up to the media or like scream at their players and stuff. And it's just like it doesn't work like that anymore. When when have you ever seen Alex Cora go to the media and chew out his own players? Never. Literally He's never once. done. It. Yeah. Never done it. And the players love him. Why? Because he defends them all the time. In 2019, when the Red Sox were you know struggling and stuff, he defended his players adamantly 
all the time, just saying, I have faith in them. Like, we're not playing well right now, sure, but, like, this is a good team. We'll get it around. And, like, it never happened, mainly because injuries accrued later in the year for the Red Sox. I still think that team was, like, good. They just really underperformed. It was literally Um, the same exact team from the World Series, minus, like, one or two, like, utility-type players. All the starters were still there. Yeah, I mean, they got another great year at a bets. I'm not obviously not the MVP season they got of him, but you should not expect to be a 10 win player two years in a row unless your name is Mike. Yeah. So that's that's ridiculously unfair. Uh, but they got another great year at a bets. Martinez was just as good. Devers really came around. Bogarts was just as good. The, the, the difference was JBJ struggled a little bit. Andrew Benintendi took a step back. Their catchers were a little inconsistent. And it just that's sometimes that's the difference between an 86 win team and a 103 win team is just a couple dies take a step back and like your best player it doesn't play like an mvp he plays like an mvp candidate he just doesn't play like an mvp and that's the difference like that's all it takes but never once did alex cora go out there and say yeah we're dog shit or we're awful and we need to play better and you know uh, Christian Vasquez is the reason that we're terrible right now. He's not working with the pitcher. That's never going to happen. And nor should it. Like, it doesn't do anything. What what benefit does it bring? You just piss off your players and then they don't trust you, right? Like, that's all it does. It, it's only a net negative there. So, like, just fans get so upset. And it's not just Yankee fans. It's every fan when a team struggles. They look for somebody to blame, right? And sometimes the answer is, like, there's nobody, like, yes, obviously there's people playing poorly. If you want to blame them, blame them. That's fine. But, like, sometimes the answer is, you're just playing bad because you're just playing bad. Like, you're just playing baseball. You're just, like, it just happens. And that's that's the case right now. It's like, the Yankees are struggling just because they're struggling. Like, it happens. You go through these stretches all the time in the season. Like, you play, sometimes you'll play 15 games and you win 13 of them. Sometimes you'll play 15 games and you'll win three of them. It just happens sometimes. It just works like that. But, it's whatever like the Yankee fans they just got to get over it they got to get over it it'll be fine things will come out they'll compete for a playoff spot they still have a roster that has Garrett Cole Aaron Judge uh Giancarlo Stanton um Luke Voigt Gio Urshela DJ LeMahieu like they Gary Sanchez they still have a really good roster they'll still be good they just started out poorly and it's sort of like just like the Royals how I said they were a great surprise they're not going to keep this up they're they're just not they're they're it's great that they are. They started off great. I, I think it's great that the Mariners started off great too. Like that's that's awesome. They're not going to keep it up. And well, the funny part they... is the same people who said like, hey, these are the World Series contenders. Like the Yankees are like the favorite from the American League after five and ten started. Oh, never mind. Like they're not going to do much. Like they're going to be lucky to make the playoffs. Like how do you go from two extremes from a fifteen games? Yeah. Games yeah. How do you how do you go from they're the favorite in the American League, which entering the season, yes, like that's that they were the odds-on favorite. That's just it's just a betting fact, yes. Right, it's to, just a fact. This, like, team's, not, no this team's not even going to the postseason. After 15 games, 15 games, the the highest weighted runs created plus in baseball this year, just to just to emphasize how small of a sample size this is, is 253 with Ronald Acuna Jr. He's not ending the season at a 253 weighted runs created plus. He's not ending the season with a 419, 486, 887 slash line. If he does... You can come back to this and I'll eat, you know, I'll chew crow, whatever I got to do. But like, that's not happening, right? It's right. 15 games. It's such a small sample size. Relax, Yankee fans. It'll be fine. I promise. Well, that's the problem. They're not the most rational people. And a lot no, of them not. aren't really the most informed people either. A lot of the debates you have with them, it's just kind of like talking to like an eight-year-old watching baseball for the first time. But kind of getting away from that for a minute. Uh, you mentioned Acuna. That kind of brings into this something I want to talk to you. 
Uh, obviously, baseball gets trashed a lot for like their poor ability to market the game. Um, I feel like we really haven't had like a face of baseball since like Griffey, maybe like Jeter. Uh, so like if we had to take someone right now, this is obviously there's a slew of great young players in the game right now. Cunha, Tatis, Soto, who would be the guy right now that sticks out for you saying like this needs to be our next face of baseball? If it were me and I were choosing it, I would choose Tatis because he's young. I don't know if he's younger than Soto and Acuna. I think he is. I think he's younger than I think them. they're all about the same age. Though. They're roughly like a year or two within each other. Uh, but he, he just signed that massive extension. He's going to be in the same spot for his entire career. And you know that Acuna most likely will Soto. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I want to say yes. I want to make my bo- my former bosses happy and everything and say yes, but not entirely sure. I also think if I remember correctly, he might be a Boris guy and those guys like, never take yeah so does a boris guy yeah then the likelihood he gets an extension i would say is low just because as scott boris agents that you know uh, they don't they don't go get extensions they go to free agency pretty much right. always Corey seager and if you, you know, do get an extension you're getting you know he's going to get 38 million dollars a year like yeah. that's the only way he's going to sign an extension yeah. you got to give you got to overpay him to get the extension oh over right. uh to get the extension and the Nationals are most likely not going to do that, though they probably should. Um, so, like Corey Seager, right? You know, he's he's another guy. You know, the Dodgers were trying to extend in the offseason, and pretty much everyone in the world is like, "Yeah, that's not going to happen." Like he's he's going to go to free agency, like this, especially after that year he had. Yeah, exactly. And off to another great start this year. So, you know, 100% made the right decision. Um, but back to the point, I would choose Tatis as the face of baseball because a he play they all play the game with a lot of fun. But Tatis is the face of an up and coming team that's going to make noise, and you know every part of the Padres is fun. They have a great broadcast team. I know this probably pains Don you. Orsillo. Don Orsillo is an amazing play by play guy. They have a great broadcast team. They have a really good marketing team, and they're just every part of their team is just fun. Their pitching staff fun with you know darvish snell lamette's coming back this week i have no idea how healthy he's going to be but he's coming back this week and i hope he's healthy yeah and then uh joe musgrove the local kid just throws a no hitter for them and you know i don't know how good chris paddock is and like he's just kind of a conundrum for a lot of people trying to figure him out but there's that's another really just if it's not him then okay they have Mackenzie gore waiting there in the wings who's a top 10 prospect in all of baseball like the best left-handed pitching prospect in baseball all right not really going too wrong there and their offense is just dynamic they're awesome they're so much fun to watch so yeah him being the face of the most fun to watch team in baseball adds on to the fact that he should be the face the problem is as always the face of baseball usually comes from somebody playing on the east coast right it was Derek Jeter from pretty much the 2000s until he retired right and it's because you can't stay up to watch east coast people don't stay up to watch west coast games usually right the ratings are different west coast people can watch east coast games no problem but the you know the east coast people they can't they're not staying up for tatis as much right I mean, some people do. And that's great. I'm not here to like, I don't need people responding to this podcast going, well, I stay up and watch like, okay, good for you. But most yeah, people don't. Habit. As soon as the Red Sox game ends, I put on the Padres. Yeah. Like, like every single they're, night. They're fun. They're fun yeah. to watch. They're a good team. So the Tatis is the one that I would be advertising. But the face of baseball usually comes from big markets. So like for a hot second there, 
I thought Mookie Betts might be the face of baseball. And he still might. You, he still could be because he plays in a really big market. But again, he plays on the West Coast. And he's really damn good. But he's I also thought got he had a lot a better... of talent all around him, too, though. That yeah. could kind of take away from him. Like Bellinger won an MVP. Corey Seager could probably win an MVP. Then you also yep. have Walker Buehler coming up. And you know that just it's just a stacked team. Their, their team's just silly. Where, really the, that's the difference is like Mookie Betts has other players of his caliber, right? Cody Bellinger is a top 10 player. Walker Bueller, Clayton Kershaw, Trevor Bauer, they're all roughly, you know, top 10, top 15 at their position, right? Um, you know, Corey Seager could be a top 10 player too. As you just said, that guy could win an MVP. He's really damn good, right? Whereas with the Padres and Tatis, right? It's Tatis, Machado, and then everyone else is like a tick down, right? He's clearly the, you know, the best player on that team. And like, there's not really anybody in his realm talent wise outside of maybe Machado. Right. That's why on Boston, when I hate to bring this up to you, but when Mookie was on Boston, it was so clearly like Mookie was the best player and everyone else was a tier below. And that's why it like sort of helped of like, he could be the face of baseball in Boston. He should still be there, but you know, a lot, lot of factors into that. We don't need to get into that. <laughs> <laughs> but so then that brings me to like, okay, which are the big markets and who's like the best player on their team? So you have the Dodgers with bets, right? You know, that makes sense. Then, you know, we go to the Yankees and judge and definitely after 2017, you know, it looked like judge was going to be the face of baseball because he had an amazing rookie year. The Yankees, you know, they're the Yankees, right? But, you know, they he hasn't played. Game ever. Yeah. Yeah. He hasn't played. So it's hard to be the face of baseball when you don't play. Um, so, you know, Boston doesn't have like a clear cut star best player right now. So that kind of like takes them out. So that really leaves that window of the Juan Soto, Ronald Acuna and Fernando Tatis guys to come in and take it right. Like, you know, there's, there's no real, you know, head above everybody else star in the big markets. So I can go out there and, you know, if I play the way I play, you know, I play great. Um, and I play with the flair and the flash that I play with and, why is it not me? And I don't know who the best player of those three guys will end up being of Tatis, Sacuna, and Soto. I, you know, they're all. If Soto played any defense, it would be Soto. It, uh, it, but you're 100 percent right. Is like he might Soto end up being a, a DH one day. If Soto played any realm of like above average defense, the answer is Soto because he's clearly got the best abilities as a hitter because his. I mean, his plate discipline is unmatched. I mean, he's one of the most... At 19 patient. years old, it was unmatched. Yeah, it's it's crazy. So, like, definitely if he was a better fielder, it would be runaway Soto. But Acuna and Tatis... Tatis was a great defensive player last year. I know it was a small sample size, but, like, his rookie year, his problem was he would just throw the ball away. And then he basically just said, what if I stopped doing that? And they were like, <laughs> well, then you would be really good. And so that's what happened. So he's fine defensively. Uh, Acuna is a great glove in either center field or right field. He's very good. And now he's sort of getting, developing that inability to swing outside of the strike zone that Soto has. That Gacuna is developing that. And I hope he's okay. He got hurt in last night's game with uh, some abdominal strains, what I read, uh, which would severely hamper his MVP campaign, which would be terrible because that's who I picked to win the MVP. Uh, just to bring it back to myself always. Uh, oh no, definitely. You got to plug yourself, dude. Exactly. Clear, clearly, sarcasm for people who don't pick up on that. Uh, so, you know, I I would if I had to order it, I would go Tatis, Acuna, Soto. I think that's who I would say because uh, Tatis is just the you know 
he's sort of the mixture of both of them and he just is on the most fun team in baseball. Yeah, I definitely see that. I think uh, given the fact that Tatis plays shortstop as well, I think you have to factor that in uh, because that's one of like the biggest, uh, you know, like casual baseball fans are like, all right, who's a shortstop? Who's a shortstop? Because that's all you hear growing up. Like people, I go to school with people who they're like, oh, you like baseball? Well, I played shortstop when I was nine. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. But, cool. I don't care, but cool. <laughs> right. But like also you see, uh, you talked about the marketing team, the Padres. Last season, Tatis would hit a home run. The video would be on Twitter before we touched the plate. Like yep. that's something the Red Sox, like it's like four innings later. Like you can't ever get them to add the videos. And that's part of the MLB's marketing problem. Padres really figured that out. It's really going to help Tatis's case. And uh, yeah, I definitely agree. I think Tatis is the option. But out of those. I also think the difference is like Tatis wants the attention. He's like, yes, yes, bring it. Like I'm willing to be this face. I want to be this face. I want people to love the game like I do. He's open about that. And that's great. Acuna and Soto are too. Like they're, they're the same. Like they're like, yeah, go ahead, bring the attention. I'm okay with it. Like then everybody can just see how good I am. Right. Like that's, and that's, that's a great mindset to have as a player. It's not for everybody. Like, you know, as we were talking about with Corey Seager, he's relatively quiet. He's not a guy who's going to be a face of baseball, despite possibly being one of the 10 best players in baseball at, at a given time, just because he just doesn't want that attention. And that's fine. Like that's, that's Mike Trout, right? That's Mike Trout is he yeah. is undoubtedly the best player in baseball. The problem is, of course, that he's a quiet guy. He just is. And there's like, nothing wrong with that. That's just him. No, there's nothing wrong with that. People are like, they should market Mike Trout more. I'm like, what if Mike Trout just doesn't want to be marketed more? Like, he does yeah. these commercials. He shows up in these things. If they ask him to do something, he's there. Like, he He's just, pretty active on Twitter, too. He yeah. tweets almost every single day. He, but, just, I mean, doesn't, he just doesn't like it. Yeah, he just More doesn't go weather. on podcasts. He doesn't go and do like interviews and stuff like that because he just doesn't want to. He says in the offseason, like the offseason's meant for me and my family. Yeah. How are you going to get mad at him for that? Like, this is, this, oh, he wants to be a good dad. How horrible of a person Mike Trout is for wanting to be a good dad. Ugh. Like, damn. But yeah, so. It, it, at one point, yeah, MLB needs to market its stars more by, as you said, like getting these clips out, showing off these highlights of all their players, not just specific people and everything like that. All the players that make these great plays and hit these home runs and everything, right? But sometimes some guys, like, they just don't want to be marketed. And then some guys shouldn't be marketed just because they're not the best people. So, you know, you got that issue too. That's a different conversation though. Yes. For sure. Um, but kind of talking about the Soto stuff, whenever you were like, the Soto also brings the, hey, look at me thing. That was so relevant because that dude at, you know, 19, 20 years old hits a home run in the World Series and he brings his bat down the line, hands it off to his first base coach because after Bregman did it, after the game, <laughs> Bregman's like, yeah, you know, I shouldn't have done that or whatever. And I'm like, Soto, why'd you do that? He was like, I don't know. It looked fun. <laughs> it, it looked like a cool thing to do. I wanted to try it. Yeah, like, that's, that's awesome. fun. That's I just remember I was so disappointed in people's response. You know, not people's, but baseball's response to that was just sort of like to shun it. And I was like, no, we should be. He literally just said the kids it looked play. cool. No, not like that. Yeah, it. That's the problem. Is like we talk about all this stuff. You know, um, the the biggest case is like Tim Anderson, right? Tim Anderson is probably like the most like vocal and adamant player about being expressive in a, you know, on the field kind of way, right? That's, that's, that's Tim Anderson and it's great. And I love it. I'm so happy that he does it because baseball needs that and it needs Tim Anderson. But early when he first started doing that stuff, man, baseball did not have a good response to it, right? They were just sort of like, oh, that's so bad. You shouldn't be doing stuff like that. And he was just like, I'm gonna keep doing it. Like, and you're gonna have to get used to it. People gotta get used to it. You don't want me to bat flip? 
don't throw me a pitch I can hit. Right. Exactly. Like, it's really just that simple. You don't want people to bat flip. Don't throw a pitch they can hit. We're pa- we're close to passing the bat flipping stuff, but we're not at all close on just the showing emotion stuff. Like showing emotion is still frowned upon. And it's that's not great. which is so stupid. Like so if dumb. I strike somebody out and it, bases loaded, you know, I, if I get myself in that jam, I work around. If I strike a dude out in the inning, like I'm gonna yell, like I'm gonna be like, "Let's go!" Like I'm excited. Same thing. If you know I'm battling, if I'm in a 12 pitch at bat, I eventually beat you, hit a home run, you know, maybe tie it up, take the lead. Like I'm gonna be excited. And if I wasn't excited, then I'm not playing for the right reason. I don't care. You should want players that care. You should want players to show the emotion because it shows a passion for the game. Something that can help rub off on other people. All of yeah, that is but, correct. Um, All of that yeah. is correct. Uh, my guy, Lucas Giolito, I actually picked him to win the Cy Young. Uh, why did I pick him? I don't know. I just love him. But he got rocked today. The Red Sox kind of had his number. Uh, what's wrong with Giolito? Like, how do we fix him? Because he hasn't been that great this season. Uh, well, he started off. He had, he, had a, he had a pretty good first start, if I can remember correctly. But, you know, let's, let's take a quick gander over to his profile on both Fangraphs and Baseball's Avant, see what he's doing well, see what he's not doing well. Yeah, I frequent those websites like incredibly too often because like I just like it like, like hmm, I wonder how this guy's doing, you know? I like, look yep. at, I like looking at the stat cast percentile rankings. It's like one of my favorite things to do. So he he entered today actually doing pretty good. He entered today with sub two peripherals at a 2.55 ERA. That was all good. Let's see if he had a pretty good yeah, he was getting guys to chase pretty good, getting some swings, getting some swing and misses, pretty good swing strike rate, pretty much average called strikes plus whiffs. So let's see what went horribly wrong today. I mean, A, he pitched at, you know, 11 o'clock, 10 o'clock in the morning, 11 o'clock in the morning. Uh, yeah. Some guys don't like doing that. All right. So today I can tell you right he off the bat. Just the by the, too. Yeah. Right off the bat, he only got five swings and misses. That's not good. Um, that's 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 really not good. That's not what you want. Yeah, he had five swings and misses on 54 pitches. Um, not good. He only had eight called strikes, so he had a CSW today of 24%. That's quite bad. His velocity was down uh, a tick. Um, then his stuff just wasn't moving too well. And if I even want to go to this, I don't. I don't know if I really want to, but I will. Uh, let's see. Yep. He had, let's see, we got one, two, three, four. He gave up four hard hit balls today in, you know, very little time. So, uh, yeah, he just didn't pitch very well today. Um, Do you think it's something you should be worried about? Or you think it's like, hey, it was a bad outing, shake it off, it'll be fine? uh, Definitely go to the bad outing, shake it off, it'll be fine um, for now. Uh, If the whiffs are, if he's not still getting swings and misses in his next start, that would be a cause for concern. That would be like, okay, uh, something that happened in his previous start is clearly carrying over to this one. That would be cause for concern. Uh, the biggest thing is like he lives and dies off that changeup he has, which is a great pitch, really, really great pitch. And he throws it high and low. His The thing is when he throws it low, it's got to be really low. When he leaves it low in the zone, then that high changeup and the low changeup, it just doesn't work as well. So if he's not getting that low change up really far down in the zone then it's going to be a struggle for him he's just like it's not going to pitch as well um the other thing you know he he should do is you know he needs to be aggressive in the strike zone too because of that change up with his fastball 
if the changeup is getting guys looking up and, you know, the fastball is keeping guys looking up, right. As you said, he likes to live up in the zone with the fastball and he should like, that's, he's got a good that's fastball for that. It. Yeah. So if he can't get that changeup down and he can't get the fastball, like, you know, well located up in the zone, then that's a problem. But I today just cough it up to just a, to a rough start. It, they all happen. I mean, uh, they don't happen for Jacob DeGrom, but that's just because he's Jacob DeGrom. But, like, for everybody else on the planet, rough starts are going to happen. Yeah, definitely. Um, I only kind of brought that up because uh, I read one of your articles recently. I, we actually talked about a little bit on uh, Dustin May. Um, so I wanted you to kind of take this time, plug in some of the work that you do at the Pitcher List. Uh, you know, just kind of talk about the stuff you do. Yeah, so um, I write at Pitcher List. I'm a going deep writer, so pretty much everything I do is I – look at players or trends from an analytical perspective and how it'll affect your fantasy baseball team. Um, that's not necessarily like something that everyone cares about the fantasy baseball aspect or the analytical aspect. They only care about the fantasy or they only care about the analytical. Hopefully I can be a nice gap for uh, both of those things for people. Um, but yeah, my, let's see, my most recent article before, that I put out was on Chris Bryant and on the day I released it, he hit two home runs. So it made me look good immediately, which was nice. Uh, I appreciate that, Chris, but yeah, I wrote about Dustin may before that. So Dustin may, he got, you know, he gets a lot of attention last year because that sinker of his just moves like crazy. It's got it a ton d- of defies the laws of physics. Yeah. It just, it's thrown 102 miles, 101 miles an hour and it just shoots right. And it shouldn't, you know, it shouldn't do that hypothetically, right? Just from the way we understand the world. Um, but it does. And so, I, but he, you know, last year, he kind of got like pretty lucky. Like his ERA was mid twos, if I remember. But his, the rest of his peripherals were all over four. You know, didn't have a stellar walk rate. Didn't have like an elite ground ball rate either. Uh he had a good ground ball rate, not an elite one, and he got no swings and misses, like just didn't miss bats at all. And that's a cause for concern. You know, as I said with Lucas Giolito, as long as he's missing bats, then things will be okay. He just wasn't missing bats today, and that happens. Like the, the biggest translation for success is always just are you missing bats, right? right. Are, you, are you getting swinging strikes? Or can you locate in the zone well, well enough, I should say, to be successful? And so – you know, what I said with Dustin May was, you know, what he needs to do is he needs to, A, throw his sinker less. Um, he threw it in 2020, if I remember correctly, about, yeah, 51% of the time. And then he threw his cutter 25% of the time. Then he only threw his forcing fastball about 4% of the time. That's just, I mean, he's got a really good forcing fastball. He should throw it more. This year in his first two starts, He's thrown his sinker less, his forcing fastball way more, his cutter less, and then his curveball roughly the same amount. I still think he should throw that curveball more. Last year, it moved more like a slurve. And uh, slurves are not always the best at getting swings and misses. Uh, it's just because the shape of them doesn't really translate well to like one. It's not like a sweeping slider, and it's not like a hard drop curveball. It's sort of in between, and it just doesn't like really work as well. Uh, so he developed a little bit more vertical break on his curveball. I just changed the spin direction on it. Probably I was just getting more vertical break on it. That's great. Throw it more. He'll get more swings and misses that way. Slowly phase in the sinker as more of a live on the edges, ground ball pitch, maybe get some called strikes, maybe get some swing strikes off the plate and, but throw your forcing fastball up in the zone with life and he'll be fine. Uh, So that's what he should do. He did that in his first start. 
He kind of went back to his old way in the second start. Uh, he did get, I think he's got, if he's I remember. 14 strikeouts. Yeah, he's, got, he's got, got 14 strikeouts so far. So he's definitely, you know, improving there. You know, his K percentage is, again, minuscule sample has jumped by about 12% early. That's, that's a good sign. Um, you know, you want to keep it that way. Uh, so throw the curveball more, throw the fastball up in the zone more. The sinker, use it on the edges of the zone. Don't try and throw it in the middle of the plate unless you're looking for a ground ball, uh, which is fine if that's what you're doing. Like, it's a really hard pitch to elevate because it's just, it runs so much. But he should, if it were me, I would be telling him, like, fastballs up in the zone, sinkers when you need a ground ball, keep it on the edges of the zone and then throw your curveball down and out of the zone with as much vertical break as you can get. And that's that'll lead to more swings and misses. He had a changeup. He barely throws it. He cut it out. His cutter is okay. It's it's good enough to get swings and misses and good enough to get some weak contact to lefties. So keep that in there too. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's what I did with for Dustin May is what I do for a lot of pitchers is I just sort of like figure out what they do well, what they should do to improve, what they sh- don't do well and what they should stop doing, you know, so that's that's what I do for pitcher list, and then for offense, it's just like seeing who's off to a hot start and what's feeling it. Yeah, I'm, that's very interesting stuff. Like I'd love uh, like some of your takes on it. And as you pointed out, it's pretty tough whenever you're a sinker ball pitcher who's not getting ground balls, and yeah. it's very hard to pitch in this league if you're not getting ground balls and you're also not striking anybody out. Yep. Those doesn't really work well together. Luke, um, but if you, you, I was just gonna say, if you're a pitcher, the way to succeed: get swings and misses, get ground balls, get weak contact. You do you yeah. do two of those three things well, you'll be a really good pitcher in this league. Definitely. Um, but you talked about it. Let's kind of jump into some analytic talk. I want to get your thoughts on the Blake Snell game six saga. Everyone kind of used this as a way to destroy advanced analytics. But if you actually looked at the numbers, the decision really didn't make sense analytically either. So basically kind of a long way way to ask like what your thoughts on were that. Um, but if I may interject before I even like let you answer, it kind of felt like even though it just felt stupid in the moment, it kind of felt like uh, Kevin Cash was like, you know what? I think it was Nick Anderson. He said, Nick Anderson has been my guy, has been my best pitcher all year. This is the biggest spot in the game. I want to go to him right now, regardless of how Snell was pitching. Yeah. I mean, so there are a variety of factors at play here. So the first, what I want to do is like, let's talk about the game. It's Let's talk about his previous start in the World Series, actually. He had a no-hitter going through the first four and a third. Then when he lost the no-hitter, he completely unraveled. So, and that's, that is Snell's MO is like he can be pitching great. And then when the when one wheel comes slightly loose, everything comes loose. He just falls apart fast. He does that. So let's keep that in mind was in the previous start, he had a no-hitter going into the fifth, lost a no-hitter, then he gave up like three runs in a matter of three batters, right? So gotta we gotta gotta keep that in mind, right? So that's the closest memory. And he that the manager, is manager of course is gonna know this. He's gonna know his guy more than everyone yeah. else. And he and he knows that Blake Snell has a has a tendency to fall apart sometimes. So let's go now to game uh six, right? In the first four innings, if I remember correctly, he had about 13 or 14 swings and misses in the first four innings of the game. And so he was absolutely dealing. He looked he made a great offense look bad, really bad. And so then the fifth inning comes around and Yomi gets one swing and miss in the inning after his previous low, I think was like three or four in an inning at that point. So like I said, really dealing in the first four, fifth inning doesn't get as many swings and misses. That's okay. Like sometimes like guys just don't get swings and misses in an inning and they get some in the next inning. Right. Okay. Then he gives up, uh, he gets a one pitch out or something like that. And then he gives up a hit to Austin Barnes in the first three pitches or four pitches of the inning. Right. 
Um, that had again. So now it's you know it's the top of the it, is it the bottom? I think it's the bottom of the sixth. Uh, Mookie Betts is coming up. There's one out. It's a two to one game or one. It's one to nothing, right? It's one to nothing. Uh, and Kevin Cash has this decision in front of him. I have Blake Snell, who's been absolutely dealing today, but I have Mookie Betts, who historically crushes lefties, just destroys them. He hasn't this year, but it's a really small sample size. He normally crushes lefties, right? I have Nick Anderson, who I guess at the time was actually hurt and wasn't letting people know, uh, which is a mistake. He struggled in the postseason. Yeah, he struggled in the postseason because he wasn't fully healthy, and I guess he just wouldn't admit it to himself. Uh, I'm not entirely sure. Uh, so I, you know, that's, that's another part of this discussion is I have Nick Anderson waiting in the bullpen. I have other guys waiting in the bullpen too. They've been, I've worked them really hard, but this is what we do, right? This is, this is what we do is I put my relievers in these situations because statistically speaking, they're usually better. However, sometimes you have to give some leeway to your starting pitcher. You have to give them the opportunity to work through things, right? I really believe in that early in the year. In the postseason, it's hit or miss. So what I come what I come back to was there are three main things to look at: who he was facing, who was up in the bullpen, and how many you know how many swings and misses he had in the last two innings in those previous pitches. So he only had one swing and a miss in the, of the last five batters he had faced. That's concerning. Now it's like okay. Usually that's a sign that a pitcher is starting to fade is he's not missing as many bats, right? That That's a telltale sign that somebody's starting to get worse, that somebody's going to fade out. I got Nick Anderson, who's really struggled. Is he really that much of a better option than the guy out there on the mound right now, right? Yeah. So for me personally, I probably would have pulled him, but I wouldn't have gone to Nick Anderson. I would have gone to Diego Castillo. However, if he had left nails. him in, who is great, like yeah. he was the, he is their best reliever right now. He was their best reliever in that postseason. That's who I would have gone to, right? And he could have gotten me out of that inning and gotten me another inning. And then I can either go to Anderson or go to Fairbanks or go to Loop, right? Like a bu- I have a bunch of other options after that, right? Um, I know, right? Saying going to Aaron Loop out of the bullpen doesn't sound like a good thing, but he was actually really good for them last year, which doesn't I mean, make much sense. Kevin Cash talked about it, the stable. Like they, yeah. that's what it was. It was a stable. They had a they had eight guys who threw a hundred with movement and was like, all right, we're going to go beat you. Yeah. That's so that's what they had done all year. That's what got them to the world series. So the decision he made made perfect sense for who they are. That's what they had done all year. And that's what got them there. There was no way they were diverging from it. The mistake was bringing in Anderson who was clearly not right. Right. That was the mistake. I can live with it. If you keep him, if you keep Snell in there, I can live with it if you pull them the mistake. And I get why they did it, because the Rays believe in sample size, and that makes sense. They got to the World Series. I'm not doubting their process. They're clearly very good at what they do. But Nick Anderson just didn't look right. He clearly wasn't missing bats. He was struggling, right? The mistake was going to Anderson. They should have gone to Castillo. Now, the funny thing is, is this gets brought back up again because Blake Snell hasn't worked past the fifth in a start yet. And his three starts this season. Now, take it with a grain of salt. He admitted himself that he usually doesn't work into the fifth inning in his first couple starts of the year, and he's working through things. And you know that's what he has to do. So take it with a grain of salt. I just think it's funny that 
at the you know, people are bringing it back up because he's not working deep into games to open the year and people are like see kevin cash is vindicated i'm like no 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 like that decision was fine to pull him it was the decision to bring in anderson but him pitching poorly now does not vindicate that decision like the vindication just comes from the fact that that's what they did all year and that's what they've done the last two years that's what they're doing again this year and it worked up until that point right that's the, the vindication crazy part was yeah the crazy part is if you look at snell's like career numbers ops three times in the order once it's the third time it really doesn't change that much i think it jumps from like 750 to 780 ish like that's not enough for me to say hey i'm taking out my guy there but what is enough maybe is hey mookie betts is the go-ahead run he's at the plate right now snell's starting to fade a little bit maybe it's time to go to our bullpen who we trust a lot it's a very good bullpen yeah. and you know live to see another game tomorrow because, and like you said, I think world uh, the game two of the World Series, that has to play into the effect. They say, hey, Snow was dominant for that too. And then all of a sudden he started to fade and then it came crashing down. Do we really yep. want to let him pitch to Mookie here? Now, I probably still would have kept him in, but if I'm taking him out, I'm not going Nick Anderson there, just like you said. Yeah, I, I, I think, again, I'm fine with like leaving him in there. The mistake was going to Anderson. He just wasn't right. He just, he just wasn't there. And like, that's, again, that happens sometimes. That happens. I think he's not on the 60-day right now, too. Like, he, yeah. he just wasn't right. He just clearly, he wasn't healthy. He showed up to camp, wasn't healthy. And they're like, when this happened, they're like, well, it was probably stemming from last year. I was like, ah, geez, <laughs> I wonder what caused it. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's it, it, the decision to pull Snell is fine. I don't, I don't feel like super strongly one way or the other of like, they had to do this or they had to do this. I feel strongly enough that the, the wrong decision was not bringing in um castillo that was the wrong decision Definitely. that's the one i feel strong about is like bringing in anderson was the wrong choice pulling him keeping him i don't know if it made that much of a difference i also think that we all blow this way out of proportion too that the actual real issue is that they're often scored one run keeping the dodgers to one run or less is almost impossible almost I mean, impossible I mean, that we just wasn't going to happen right like that team's too talented that roster is too like they, I mean, even their bench guys, like they can go out there. You could play the game with like take out their top five or put their bench in. They're still gonna be a very good team. So yeah. you have to be able to put up runs. They 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 um, had Austin Barnes in their lineup, and it's still a great lineup. No offense to Austin Barnes, he's a great defensive catcher, but that man's not a great hitter. But they're still a great lineup when he's in it, and they still have, like you said, they got what's his name? Uh, is it Rojas? Is that his name? Uh, Wait, what are you talking about? Need some context. Uh, their backup, like third baseman, first baseman. Uh, oh, I don't know. I think it's I think it's Rojas. Uh, I don't know the Dodgers. Let's go ahead and check because I don't know. And I, I think a lot know. of this though kind of showed out as we said like earlier, like the casuals. Like it's just like the fans who maybe don't really follow the Rays or maybe don't really follow baseball. They just say, you know, they watch the World Series or maybe watch the playoffs. And it's like, oh, no, you don't take them out there. Oh, that's dumb. And it's the same people now who kind of freak out over stuff. I mean, I'm a Pelicans fan, so I get it. The national <laughs> narrative. Right. I feel you, man. I'm a Kings fan. <laughs> yeah, like, right. It's like the national narrative for the Pelicans is, oh, their spacing's terrible. They need shooters around Zion. Their spacing's terrible. They have, like, the number two offensive rated team since, I don't know, January. Like, it's not spacing, it's defense. But you can never – anybody that's not a Pelicans fan, people that don't watch the game, they don't know that. They just watch ESPN and they say, oh, yeah, analytics, you're killing baseball. Or, no, analytics, like, they're good for baseball. And, like, that's all they ever see. They see Skip Bayless or they see Stephen A. Smith talk about it. And let's be honest, those guys don't watch baseball. 
No, no, they don't. Like it's just they 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 chime in every now and again, and that's that's what they do. But no, they're uh, and the guy's uh, name, my bad, was Edwin Rios. Edwin Rios uh, yes. is on their bench, and that guy can rake, and yeah. he's on their bench. That's like that's just how good right now this season. I know it's only eighty three plate appearances, but he has a hundred and forty five weighted runs career plus, and that's on their bench. That's on their bench. That's how I mean, good of a Gavin team Lux they have. Gavin Lux didn't even play last year. Yeah, and he he's now on the IL, but like Gavin Lux was again at one point in time the number three overall prospect in baseball behind Fernando Tatis Jr. and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. That was the guy that's behind them. Like they're just stacked. Cody Bellinger was hitting seventh for them last year. Seventh. The guy who won the, the MVP. Yeah, in the previous year was hitting seventh in their lineup. And you want the Blake Snell and the Rays to hold that lineup to less than a run? There's your problem. Like, forget the decision to pull them. It's just, the offense just didn't get it done. They That's they right. lived and died by the home run, which is the way you win in the p- playoffs. You whoever hits more home runs. Right yeah, you whoever hits more home runs in the playoffs, if I remember correctly, won like seventy eight percent of the games last year. Sure. Yeah, like whoever hits more home runs wins the games in the playoffs. That's just that's just how it works. The Rays just didn't hit any home runs. Why? Because the Dodgers are a great pitching staff, and you have to match that. The this is all just coming around saying the Dodgers are a great team, and we are probably not appreciating how good they are. No, we're not. No, we're definitely not. I mean, this legit could be the most talented roster that we've seen, and I don't even know how long. Like a very since like the since when baseball had like you know ten teams and like half of them played for the Yankees. Like that's probably the last time we've seen rosters this rich. And uh, a lot of times, as a Red Sox fan, a lot of people like, oh, we won it because you know they went get Heimbloom, which I'm sure you're a big Heimbloom guy too. Uh, Yeah, Heim's very good at his job. He's very very good um, at his job. Well, Red Sox fans like to say, oh, we want to be Tampa North, Tampa no, North. And Times like, no, I want to be Los Angeles East. Like, I want to be the Dodgers in the East. Like, that's who we're building here. All these guys come from once with the, the Heimbloom, James Click, right? They come from Pretty Tampa nice. Bay, right? They come from Neander, right? Who, who trained Neander? Uh, who was Neander's number one disciple? The guy who's running the Dodgers right now and Andrew Friedman. Everyone just stems from Tampa Bay, but the Dodgers just said, what if we took Tampa Bay's model and actually spent money? Like yes. we, we actually tried to spend money. What would happen? We're seeing it. We're, yeah. we're seeing, we're seeing a perfectly run organization. This is what a, this is what the best run franchise in sports looks like. This oh, yeah. is what, I, I agree. Like, like there's, there's, there's not a team that's run better in all of sports. All the sports. I don't want to hear people say, "Well, the Lakers," or, or you know, like, God. which definitely not. Uh, well, yeah, no. or, or like, well, the Chiefs, and it's like, no, it's it's it is the Dodgers. They have perfected baseball player development, baseball, you know, analytics. They have perfected everything about it, and that's why they're so good. Like, yeah. we again, when people say, "Oh, we're just trying to be Tampa Bay North," that should be a compliment. I oh, see this I all the time where where fans say, "Well, we can't out analytics the Rays, okay, so we sh- just don't try." Like it's not about out analyticsing them, but they're just sort of like, "Oh, so we, we they're like, wow, we, if we're not as good with the analytics as the Rays and the Dodgers are, we shouldn't use it." No, <laughs> the answer is to get as good as they are with it. That's what right. will lead to wins. That like the answer is not use less. The answer is use more. Be as good as they are with it. Figure out what makes them so good. And the biggest thing that makes the Dodgers so good, I think, is that their players know it. Their players understand the data. 
a lot of them go to driveline like places. A lot of them train at driveline. A lot of them understand that data. And guess what? They've understood that data since they've been in the organization, since they came up. These younger guys, anyway, not the Clayton. Right. Whenever you're 18 years the, old, they're yeah. they're teaching you. The, like they're trying right to get when you, you get there. there. When you're when you're drafted by the organization, you get there. You go show up at rookie ball right under normal circumstances. This is how baseball used to work. Uh, was they would go to go to rookie ball and stuff, but you know, COVID and everything, and you know, the axing of the minor leagues, which is again another topic for another day. Uh, they would show up, and their coach and the coach, the Dodgers, do this so well is they have a coach who's their entire job is to just know the data and explain it to players, explain what they do well to players. They work with their pitching staff. They work, they work with their pitching coach. They work with their hitting coach. They work with the manager and just sort of explain what these players do well. And that's why they're successful is the, like these baseball people just understand. They just get it. They get it. There's no other issue to un- come up with they understand because they've been told so you don't hear any brushback from the players why the rays do so well it's because the race players know that's how they operate blake snell in an interview said yeah i thought i could keep going but looking back i knew that was going to happen because that's what we did all year that's what we yeah, did I mean, all year the crazy part it, is you were like uh teams are saying like oh we're not gonna be as good as the rays or whatever so why even use analytics my thing is the yankees can't outspend the rays here they can't devote those resources to tampa the team that has, you know, the lowest outside of like the Marlins, like every almost every team in baseball should be able to put up the same amount of money in analytics as the Rays. There's no reason There's why no you reason not to. Use. There's right. no reason not to. Doesn't mean that you'll be as good as it they are. The, what, the, what makes the Rays so good is I've and I've met people who work for them and everything. They just try anything. If you come up with an idea, they're like, oh, let's give it a shot, right? Their thought pro- and that's because because they don't spend money. That's what they, they have, like to they have to do. Yeah, yeah. they say we have to do these crazy, you know, stuff because that's our competitive advantage is that we do try anything because we don't spend money. So it's it's sort of like the only reason that they're doing this is because they don't spend money. If they spent money, like the Dodgers or the Yankees would, which, you know, whatever, every team could spend more money. That's a different again, different conversation for a different day. Yeah. Uh, is that these teams they want to do whatever it gives them the competitive advantage to make money. And so the Rays just and the Dodgers just sort of figured out, well, putting together a really good product through a great process will make us a lot of money. It's it's not really more complicated than that, people like it's right. it build your team with a great process with sound reasoning. You're going to make a lot of money like because well, the team's going to be good. Mookie Betts is going to make the Dodgers more money in jersey sales than he's going to make from the Dodgers. Like, that's important to note. Same thing with Tatis. Over the next 10 years, you're telling me Tatis isn't going to sell, you know, I think it's – I forget the exact number. I did the math one day. But, you know, like X amount of jerseys over a 10-year stretch, if he becomes the face of baseball player that we're talking about, like, yeah, he's going to – they're going to make so much profit off of that. The Phillies, when they signed Bryce Harper, made yeah. like – 12 million dollars in ticket sales in the first week there's yeah there's literally almost half of his first year contract paid for in a week a yep. week you commit to winning you spend fans will show up like they'll go the dodgers were the only team to exceed the payroll you know uh to exceed the luxury tax this year at 240 million dollars once the once full capacity is allowed their fans are going to be there every single night at full capacity to see arguably the greatest team we've ever seen put together. Why? Right. Because they spent money on it. They tried to win. So whenever people are saying like, uh, we shouldn't overpay for this guy, screw that. You're yeah. going to make the money. The, 
The Yankees gave Garrett Cole, a pitcher, $324 million. That's extremely risky. But guess what? Their ticket sales, just like with Harper, went through the roof after they did that. Because if you commit to trying to get good players, the fans will show up. You will make money. Have a great process. Pay out when you need to, like the Dodgers did with Kershaw, Bauer, Turner. Like they're probably going to do with Seager, right? Then the fans will keep coming. What they did with Mookie. They First of all, that trade, Verdugo's a great player, and Jeter Downs is a good prospect. I think the Red Sox did really well in that trade. But <laughs> when every time Mookie makes a play, and I feel really bad, is that you have to hear, oh, but the, I wonder if the financial flexibility could make, could make that play, right? And it's like, right. that must sting, and I, I'm sure it does. But they're right. Like, they're 100% right. There was The Red Sox could have done that. Any well, team in baseball fair, could do that. To be fair, he was telling the Red Sox, look, I'm not going to sign an extension no matter what. If you don't meet me at 420, I'm not letting Red Sox off the hook anyway. But he kept saying, I'm not going to sign an extension no matter what unless it's, you know, a good, 12 years, 420. And, you know, he shouldn't have. But then COVID happened. Realistically, a pandemic happened. That can change the player's mind. The Dodgers said the Red Sox were here at 300. Mookie was here at 420. Dodgers said, hey, 360. Mookie said, done. Did the Red Sox ever try that? No. They tried 10 for 300 every time. I mean, in 2016, you finished second in the MVP voting behind Mike Trout, right? Like, you know, greatest baseball player we've ever seen. Finished second behind him in MVP voting. I think he had almost 10 more. And the Red Sox were like, nice season, bro. How does six years 100 sound? He was like, what? (laughs) Yeah. No. And then after 2018, they offered nice season, bro. You know, he won the MVP. It was like, how does uh, 10 years over uh, 200 sound? He was like, no, like th- these aren't the numbers that we should be talking about here. We should be looking at 350 plus. Like that's the type of contract he was working. And the Red Sox spit in his face constantly. Mookie did the right thing. 100%. He did the right thing. He said, I know I'm worth close to $400 million, which he is. He, he's yeah. arguably worth more than that. Just like Mike Trout is worth more than the contract he got. And he got a really nice payday. And he's still well, probably can't pay worth him $800 more. $800 million, though. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He can't pay him $800 million. But that's. If you did, it would still be justifiable. <laughs> so the, Mookie was right. He was right. And every big time player, like, you know, probably Corey Seager's probably the biggest guy to hit the market next year, right? I think probably. Him and Story, yeah. Yeah, him and Story are probably like, because Lindor just got, you know, that nice. And Lindor, just like Lindor, is a perfect example. He basically told the Mets, "You need to pay me three at least three hundred and you know forty million dollars, right? Because I know I'm worth that. I know I'm worth that to you." And again, as soon as he signed that extension, Mets ticket sales they shot up, jersey sales shot up. If you make the if you make the investment, you're all, you're going to see returns immediately, immediately. His his contract this first year is already going to be paid off just from the ticket sales, just from the jersey sales, and everything like that. It's already going to happen. Just Steve ain't investment. hurting either. Yeah. Steve Cohen ain't hurting for money. No, that that man is really not hurting for money. He's got. I think he's gonna be good for baseball. Honestly, so if the the more a team spends, I, I this is people are like we should get a salary cap. No, we should have a salary floor. If floor. Anything. Yes. Yes. Make teams spend a minimum amount. Stop the Rays from doing what they're doing. Stop the Pirates from doing what they're doing. Baseball, and I hate to say this, baseball is better when the big markets dominate. It just is. Because yeah. if you spend, you should be rewarded. If you spend money, you should be rewarded with winning. If you want to make the investment in your team, 
make the investment, you will win, and it's better for the sport. It's better for the sport when the Dodgers win because they spend money. It's better for the sport when the Padres win because they spent money. It's better for the sport if the Cubs win if they spend money. But they didn't spend money. They shelled out. They salary cut. So they don't deserve to win. They yeah, shouldn't win. I mean, as a Red Sox fan, it's very easy for me to sit here and say, yeah, 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 best spend money, you know, because John Henry, since he's gotten here, yeah. you know, top three in the league almost every season. And, you know, they got rewarded spending. because of that. They got rewarded exactly. because of that. I mean, the even Red this season, they're 207 million. Yeah. Like, when the Red Sox traded for Chris Sale and people last year, I saw people saying, was the Chris Sale trade worth it? Yes. They won yes. a ring because of him. <laughs> now, the extension, that's a different story. That yeah. might have been a little overzealous. I don't understand why Dave Dombrowski was allowed to sign all these guys to a bunch of extensions, knowing you're going to get, get fired them. immediately. That ultimately, <laughs> right? That ultimately is the reason why Mookie, why we couldn't afford Mookie Betts, Nathan Ivaldi, yeah. and Chris Sale's extension. Yeah, so uh, that's that's fair. But the trade, 100% worth it. So right, when, right. And the when the Red Sox, the Red Sox shelled out. They hired Dave Dombrowski, and they said, "Win me a ring." And Dombrowski said. Okay, like I'm gonna sell the farm to try and win a ring. He did what he did in his later years in Detroit. I just said it didn't work in Detroit, but that's not from a lack of effort. It should work here because the talent is better here than I had it there. I think that was fair. I think that was fair logic. And Dombrowski delivered. He did what he said he would do. And then they fired him for it. And that's bogus. But now he's back in Philly and like immediately goes there and he starts to spend money and everything. And it's like, um, Look at that. After they cried poor, which is a come again. Yeah, I, yeah, definitely. Ah, the owners crying poor just pisses me off because it's like I, you're lying, and we yeah, know. Open you're up lying. the books because you refused yeah. to do it last season. Open yeah. them up. Let us see. So this all goes back to the greater point: if if you spend money, people will come. You will be rewarded. You will win, and it'll be worth it. It'll be worth uh-huh. it. The Red Sox and Yankees fans, if they don't succeed, they know the, the they're gonna you know blame Aaron Boone or Alex Cora or Heim Bloom or Brian Cashman. No, the real answer is you blame John Henry or you blame Hal Steinbrenner because they just didn't spend enough when they had the yeah. opportunity to do so. The Red Sox, I actually really liked the Red Sox offseason. I th- I thought they did a lot, but there was yeah, no reason to not sign George Springer. I'm they, no no from a fan perspective the reason why is just from our psycho fans they would have said oh so you couldn't sign Mookie but you got George Springer now like that's how it would have happened <laughs> i i 100% get you but from a baseball perspective right yeah yeah, yeah. they need I feel it. The, George Springer i think the, on move the Red is Sox. going to get Trevor Story this offseason i think that's what they're trying to hook up move Bogarts to third <laughs> Devers DH that means Xander's off shortstop because i need Xander Bogarts off shortstop <laughs> He's just yes. He's just not a good defensive shortstop. He's a great hitter. He's a really that's, good. That's hitter. kind of the rumor that Heim loves uh, Trevor Story, and that the thought process is is to move uh, Xander either to third or I mean Jeter Downs is coming up, so he's probably playing second. So Xander playing third, and then Devers maybe to a DH role or to a first base role. I I wouldn't hate Xander in the outfield either because he's got like he can move around well. Yeah, he's pretty quick. Yeah, but it's just. Watching that man play shortstop is tough. <laughs> it's just tough. It's just tough at times, and that's not. He's that's gonna get better. He's, he has every year. His every year his DRS improves, which is which is good. It's just it improves from negative twelve to negative nine, or <laughs> which is like yeah, yeah, that's improvement, but it's like still not great. But yeah, if that means Andrew Bogarts is off shortstop. That, that right there will improve their team. Trevor Story would be a really good fit too. Like that that's it. Because yeah. they, they I think got he fits lineup well. He's a good, very good defender. Yeah. Like it's they got lefty. And you know he's too. not staying in Colorado. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
why, how he wasn't traded in the offseason still blows my mind. He's off to one of the ridiculously weirdest starts ever, by the way. The dude's crushing the ball, and he has, like, no home runs and, like, no mm-hmm. extra bases. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy. He gets all these, like, well-hit balls, and they're just getting caught. And it's like, how does that happen? How does, how does he consistently hit the ball towards the gap, hit the ball to the wall, and it just it won't go out, or, it, like, it gets caught? I'm like, man, this poor guy is... He's probably just sitting there like, get me out of this goddamn ballpark. <laughs> yeah, dude, him and Fenway would be a dream. He would yeah. destroy the monster. Because he, he's got, when he pulls the ball, he hits it high, which is good. Mm-hmm. But he's got some oppo power, too. Like, he can go the other way. He'd take advantage of that pesky pull. And, again, Trevor Story in a lineup that already has Devers and Verdugo, you don't need a left-handed bat. They have left-handed yeah. bats already. And then so, you have Bogarts, and you also have JD if he's still around. And then you also have Vasquez, who has been coming into his own. All of a sudden, your lineup, seven people deep. And yeah, you have, you know, dead... the Bobby Dahlback potential. You have French Cordera, who I really like. I think he has a ton of potential. Franchi Cordero and Hunter Renfro are basically Hunter Renfro is better at defense, but they're basically the same type of hitter. And when they're going good, it's a lot of fun. When they're going bad, it's not very fun. Basically. But uh, Dahlbeck, obviously, that's my guy. He went to U of A. That's where I went. Uh, and so he he's got a ton of swing and miss. That's fine. Like if if you can get two sixty. 330 out of him you're gonna get 30 to 40 home runs out of that guy he can just mash the ball so he's been very unfortunate this year though yeah it's not it's not off to the best start but the red Sox are off to a great start so it it hasn't affected them too much um but yeah i mean trevor story is a good option i like kevin gosman for the red Sox too I, i think like shoring up their rotation with gosman at the deadline if they're in like a playoff push if they're not then you know, wait till the offseason. But, like, if they're in a playoff push, that's the guy I would be targeting. My biggest fear is that they uh, try to push Chris Sale back too early. Because I don't care if I don't care if we are a 100-win team, uh, Chris Sale, like, if he's not right, I don't want him for the postseason. Like, he still has four more years left on his extension. I need him to get healthy. And with Tommy John nowadays, it doesn't really, like, scare me. Like, I feel like when Chris Sale is 100% next season, he's going to be maybe not Chris Sale anymore, but he's going to be, you know, yeah, he's still Chris good. Sale. Jacob yeah, DeGrom had you know, Tommy John surgery. Look at him, right? Like, yeah, I mean, years later, he's the best we've arguably ever seen out of a pitcher, right? Yeah, so he, he's it's nasty. Uh, anyways, though, I don't want to take up too much of your time. Uh, Bill, I should ask you the last question here. Question in with all of my guests. If you go back and relive or maybe live through any moment in sports history, what would it be? Oh, uh, so would it be in my life or any moment ever? Either or. Okay. Um, in my that was a very life, loaded, loaded question. Yeah, it's a very loaded question. Um, in my life, ooh, in my life, I'd probably say when I got the Nationals job, just because like years of hard work really paid off there. Uh, that that would be the moment that I would go back to, just like that feeling again of being able to say I could work in baseball. Um, ever, whew, I think ever would be joe carter's walk-off home run to win the world series like does it get better than that every kid growing up in their backyard when they're hitting they dream of exactly that moment right the walk-off to win the world series right so three two bases loaded two outs like that's everybody thinks about everybody's dream and like also unrelated note that is one of the best calls ever touch them all joe you'll never hit a bigger home run in your life amazing pristine call right there really really like we we don't talk about that call enough but damn that was a great call but that would probably Definitely. be the moment just because a home run to win the world series 
it what that's it like that's the moment everybody dreams of that's the moment everybody wants to see so that would be the moment i would probably go back in time to to be watch joe carter hit the home run to win the world series that's a that's a first that's the first time we got that that answer so uh i was like when we get something new to talk about yes Definitely. well you're um, um, providing that... new information yeah. <laughs> with that was that the uh was that 92 or 93 was that the first time they won or i think second? it was 90 i think it was 92 gotcha gotcha but i could be anyways wrong. it was great having you on max uh hopefully Thank we can do this much. again soon and i really appreciate your time yeah thanks for having me all right special shout out to max again for coming on uh it was a great interview that we had here it was great to get some of his time he was very generous with it, it got about you know over an hour of his time, you know, recording, talked to him for a decent bit beforehand and afterhand too. Really, really, really good dude. Really nice guy. We uh, talked just about like off camera. We talked about football and basketball too. Just a lot of just random like sports stuff. Uh, very good dude. Uh, he should be coming on again soon. He's very interested in coming on again. So that's awesome. Uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed it. If you did enjoy, you know, go tell him, you know, give him a little shout out. Tell him thanks for coming on. Uh, Hype them up, you know, with all of our guests, you should be doing that, especially if you enjoyed having them on because then they're more likely to come back. Anyways, we can jump into the division and wildcard previews now. Uh, remember, I wrote this on March 31st, so this is before the season started, and I'm just going to start with the AL East. I'm going to bite the bullet. Uh, the New York Yankees. I think they're going to win the division, but I don't think it's going to be easy for them. Uh, their staff after Garrett Cole obviously has a lot of question marks. Luis Severino, Corey Kluber, Jameson Tyone, like they've been very like health concerns. None of those three pitchers have really pitched much over these last two years. Um, injuries overall just might plague this team. You have very injury prone players and Stanton and Judge and like, you know, different people. They're infield defense with Glaber Torres playing shortstop. I don't know how sustainable it is. It's very, he's very bad at shortstop. Me and Max just kind of talked about that. So I think the Blue Jays will try to push them and seal the division. Uh, but, you know, I can't just try and forecast injuries here, so I'll give the nod to the Yankees, especially since the Blue Jays' uh, bullpen's pretty banged up, uh, especially Kirby Yates. He's going to be out for the season, so Yankees, they get the nod. AL Central winner, Minnesota Twins. Oh, yes, and I have the Yankees as the one seed. The Twins is the three seed. Twins have, you know, one of the best lineups in baseball. Uh, the lineup might just mess around and leave the majors and homers again. Uh, Nelson Cruz is a timeless wonder. Josh Donaldson's healthy again. He's crushing the ball. He is, you know, back to being JD again. You know what I'm saying? He's been crushing the ball. They have a solid one-two punch at the top of the rotation. Kent Maeda and Jose Barrios. They're both all-star caliber pitchers. Jose Barrios seems to have figured it out this season. And Maeda since, like, I don't know, a couple weeks. Basically since he got to the Twins, he's been, you know, all-star caliber, you know, like maybe even better, like, pitcher on top of that you know the white Sox lost eloy for a while so i think that's going to give the twins you know a slight edge even though i do love the the white Sox, you'll see later on how much i love the white Sox. but i i do love what they did with their lineup i do love what they have overall with their roster so that's not a slight at all to the white Sox whatsoever i think the twins are just gonna narrowly beat them out and i haven't touched on his name yet byron buxton byron buxton looks like the top prospect that like we were all forecasting to be like he is crushing the ball again I mean, I say again, like for the first time ever, he is like really, really, really hitting the ball. And he's playing, you know, top tier caliber defense. Uh, at one point, a couple weeks into the season, he was OPSing at like 1,700. Now, that's not sustainable now. But if Byron Buxton can OPS, you know, in the mid 900s with that defense, like he's going to be one of the top whatever players in the league, right? He's going to be like a top 20 player in the league if he can do that this season. And that might be a little 
you know, a little aggressive. But, I mean, it's true. If you're one of the best or the best defensive center fielder in baseball, that's a ton of value. Then you're OPSing at a pretty elite level. Yeah, you're a top 20, top 10 player. ALS winner. I'm, I'm sorry. Yes, the AL West winner is the Houston Astros as the two seeds. Uh, let's not really flirt around here. The Astros are the best team in the division. They may win this division by 10-plus games. I think Alex Bregman's going to be back to, you know, his MVP caliber play, and he has so far this season. Uh, Jose Altuve will probably bounce back. He's a lot better player than what we saw last season, and this is a potential 100-win ball club. Um, they've been struck bad right now with the COVID stuff, obviously, but they'll probably be getting Justin Verlander back in September, and if that's the case, the Astros may make just another World Series run. They can get Justin Verlander back if they can make a move at the deadline. Uh, James Click is a great general manager. And I know he's, he's only been one season or whatever, yada, yada, yada. But the point is, like, he comes from the Freedman tree. He comes, you know, with the Heimbloom and with uh, you know, the guy in Tampa. Like, me and Max were just talking about this. Like, the Tampa tree of just talent and, like, the people who, like, are all in the same building together, who all, like, you know, trained each other. Like, that's a good tree to be under. That's a good tree to bet on. Uh, the first AL wildcard spot, I'm going to Chicago White Sox. Obviously, I think they're going to make a lot of noise. I think they're going to finish just short of it. Um, you know, they're led by the MVP last season, Jose Abreu. They also have, you know, Luis Robert, Tim Anderson, Yasmani Grandal. Like, those guys are can rake. Uh, they were very good players. Tim Anderson might be the most underrated player in baseball. And then you have Eloy Jimenez eventually joining again. The rotation is led by big three of, you know, my LL, AL uh, Cy Young Award winner, Luke Stilito. Lance Lynn, Mass equals gas, and Dallas Keuchel. I mean, it's a solid number three. They also signed Liam Hendricks, and the more I talk about the team, the more I fall in love with them. Moving on, uh, the second spot, I have the Baby Jays, the Blue Jays. Uh, they're here, the core of, you know, Vladdy, Bobichette, Kevin Biggio, uh, Guriel, uh, Nate Pearson. Like, they're ready to take the lead by storm. Uh, you know, they added Tyler Chatwood, Robbie Ray, Marcus Simeon, Stephen Matz, George Springer, Kirby Yates, he's not going to play this season, but like they're in win-now win mode. They're going to be very dangerous this season, and honestly, for many years to come. From there, uh, you know, that's my places. I have the White Sox beating the Blue Jays in the AL wildcard game. I have the White Sox then taking the series against the Yankees. Yes, yes, you heard it here. The White Sox will take the first series, the divisional series against the Yankees. The Astros will beat the Twins. Yep, and then the White Sox and the Astros will meet up and I have the Astros going to the World Series from that point forward. Going to the National League side for a minute now. For a minute, you know, as we describe everything. I have the Atlanta Braves uh, being the two seed. They've been one of the best teams in baseball over the last three seasons. They actually were three. They were up three games to one in the LCS last season before blowing a lead. You know, they were one game win away from the World Series. They're now in the most competitive division in baseball, but I still expect them to, you know, separate themselves from the NL East. They're playing 76 games against the Marlins, Nationals, Phillies, and Mets. Like That's going to help them in the postseason. They're going to be very battle-tested. Additionally, they're getting Mike Stroka back, who you know finished top six in the Cy Young Award in his rookie season. Like He's a Cy Young caliber pitcher. That's very, very big. I expect them to make a lot of noise this season, and I expect them playing deep in October once again. In El Central. Uh, the St. Louis Cardinals, they're going to be the three seed. Central's very interesting because it seemed like really nobody wanted to be like get any better this season. Uh, you know, the Brewers later on, they ended up, you know, adding and stuff getting better. But like everybody else either got worse or kind of stayed the same. But the Cardinals, like they made a move. Like they went get Nolan Arenado. You know, they went get one of the best players in baseball. 
Uh, Jack Flaherty, you have to assume, is going to bounce back. And they might have the best corner infield duo in baseball with Paul Goldschmidt, Goldschmidt and uh, Nolan Arenado. They're going to be very good. I uh, expect them to narrowly edge out Milwaukee for the divisional, uh, you know, winning the division. And then we go from there. The Dodgers are going to win NL West. Let's not flirt around. Me and Max just talked about it. They're probably the best roster in MLB history. <laughs> as crazy it is to say. Like, they're a very good team. And I think there's probably two teams in the NL West that could win 100-plus games or will win 100-plus games because the Padres can do it too. But the Dodgers have insane depth. Like, they they have their, their depth is so asinine that they have multiple Cy Young Award winners in their rotation, and they have one in their bullpen. That's stupid. You know how deep your team has to be that a Cy Young Award winner has to be in your bullpen because there's not a spot for them in a rotation? You know, they have Kershaw, Bauer, Bueller, Julio Urias, Dustin May, David Price, Kenley Jansen, Blake Trinan, Corey Knable, Tony Gonsolin. Like Tommy Cahill, like there's and there's more. Like that's not even all of them. Then you have Mookie Betts, Cody Bellinger, both won MVP. Corey Seager could be a top ten player in this league. He could win an MVP. You have all star caliber players. You know Will Smith, uh, Justin Turner. He may not be all star caliber anymore, but like he was at one point. He's still very good. Max Muncie. I mean AJ Pollock is in the mix. Then you have you know a top prospect and Gavin Lux, who's injured right now, but he's still you know a very very good prospect. Then you add in the fact, you know, they have Chris Taylor, who's a super utility man. Like, this is just a super team. It's ridiculous how good they are. And now I feel bad for my first NL wildcard team, the San Diego Padres, because they play in the same team division as them. If the Padres were an AL, I would have them winning the American League. If the Dodgers didn't exist, I'd have the Padres winning it all because the Padres are a very good team. They're probably the second-best team in baseball. The problem is they play in the same division as the Dodgers. Very, very, very unfortunate. Um, this is also why I hate the one game wildcard game because like, but I also love it at the same time, like a hundred win team has to match up on a do or die against Jacob DeGrom. Nevertheless, the Padres are still a very good team and I expect a lot of wins this season, especially now that Tatis is going to be able to play the entire season after having the injury scare. The Mets, they're going to sneak in at the second uh, wildcard spot. Probably the most improved team from 2020 to 2021. It's either them or the Blue Jays. Uh, Marcus Stroman's coming back. Um, they signed Lindor, James McCann. I mean, they traded for Lindor. They signed James McCann, signed Jose Martinez, signed Trevor May. They also traded for Carlos Carrasco. I think they're saving themselves up for just a very good 2021. You also have to assume that Pete Alonso will bounce back. He was still in the 85th percentile bearish percentage last season, and their rotation is video game silly. Like, their one through four can match any team in baseball. Jacob DeGrom, Marcus Stroman, Noah Syndergaard, Carlos Carrasco is just nightmare fuel in October. I don't, I don't have any other way to say it. It is just terrifying. And I think the Mets are going to shock people. I think they're going to win some games in the postseason. And that goes into my National League. Like, and also, like Steve Cohen strikes me as the type of guy who's going to want to add at the deadline. So that leads me into my predictions now for the National League. I have the Mets winning game, the Walker game, and eliminating the Padres. Now, do I think the Mets are a better team? No. But they have Jacob DeGrom. And yes, I get it. I get it. The Mets, you know, aren't crazy like winning wise whenever it comes to Jacob DeGrom and his starts. They actually don't win that much. But very hard for me to bet against Jacob DeGrom and I do or die. You know what I mean? Like, I'm going to roll with Jacob DeGrom. I got to give him the, the, the edge. On the other side, I mean, I do have them losing next to the Dodgers. The Dodgers advancing to the NLCS. I don't really need to. 
I don't really need to say why or anything like that. The Dodgers are a better team, but I will say that if Stroman and Degrom and you know Syndergaard are all healthy and right and they're pitching well, then Carlos Carrasco's in that bullpen with you know Trevor May and Edwin Diaz is and kind of bounces back. You know, a couple of the others bullpen pieces that they have that I like that I think can be good. I can see this team making a run because they have the pitching to do so, and then their lineup's good enough, right? Like their lineup's good enough that as good as that those their arms are, as good as their rotation is and you know they probably need to trade for another bullpen piece but as good as this that this rotation is especially in october with the three-man rotation i just see them winning a lot of games and i can see them making you know challenging anyone going on to the cardinals and the braves are the braves advancing past the cardinals they're just a better team honestly now i have another uh, rematch between the dodgers and the braves because they love playing each other in the nlcs and yes I have the Braves advancing past the Dodgers because it's boring to say that the Dodgers are going to win it all. That's like every single year being like, yeah, the Lakers and the Yankees and Alabama football and Duke basketball, like those are my – and the Cowboys, these are my predictions. Like, no, I'm not going to do that. That's lame. The Braves, they're a very good baseball team. They're very good. You can't tell right now because they're very banged up and they're losing, but this is a very stacked team. you got to remember this is the team that was one game away from the World Series last year. One game, and then you can arguably argue that they got better. I don't think they got any worse by any chance, but they might have just very well got better. It's a very good baseball team, and I think they're going to be able to challenge the Dodgers. But anyways, guys, that's going to do for today. Uh, next week, we're going to be talking a lot of mock draft stuff, a lot of you know NFL draft stuff is going to be coming out on the day of the draft. Uh, take the time now. Check out the description of this episode. You know, Pause it right here uh, as I kind of give you some more time to check it out. Go follow us on all of our social medias at Couch Fanatic Sports. Uh, go check us all out there and subscribe to the podcast if you're new. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you guys next week. Love you guys.